Hello and welcome to the Last Looks podcast, a show where we catch up with talented hairstylists and makeup artists in the film and television industry. We'll pick their super creative brains and find out all the good stuff. Join me, your host, Jamie Lee, in finding out what's what in the hair and makeup departments around the world. And now, a word from our sponsor. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast, Sammy. Thanks for having me, Jamie Lee. I'm delighted to be a part of your podcast. It's awesome. Now, Hask is the number one brand used behind the scenes in Hollywood, and the hairstylist set bags are what everyone's talking about. So let's dive into a conversation about Hask and set bags. Absolutely. We originally created the Hask Stylist Support Program to help professional hairstylists, just like you, do your job more effectively. We actually love being able to lend a hand by providing the Hollywood styling community with what's needed needed to treat their actors and actresses' hair, all while addressing each specific hair care need. So we found that after forming relationships with stylists and via many conversations, we grew a deeper understanding and appreciation for all that goes into a day on set. We then realized that a stylist's needs go beyond just hair care products. For example, how the stylists are to carry their essentials across a production set. And it ain't easy if you don't have the right bag. That's when we created the now, quote unquote, stylist staple clear house set bag. Yeah, I see them in action daily. They're great. Oh, that's so awesome. I mean, we love that they're getting the recognition that we had hoped for. We even get requests from stylists asking for a few extras for their friends in and out of the industry. But that's on the DL. You didn't hear it from me. <laughs> and just to reiterate on the brand itself, we wanted listeners to know that Haas creates products that are guaranteed to give you good hair days on set and off. So we are a problem solution, clean ingredient, cruelty-free hair care brand that offers a wide variety of collections for every hair type at prices that won't break the bank. It's certainly good to know for those conscious about ingredients and all the animal lovers out there like myself. For sure. I mean, clean ingredients are very important to us and testing on animals is a big no-no in our book. So funny enough, we found that hairstylists have developed their own take on what has faves they need in their set bag every day. And thankfully, we've built this relationship with stylists where they can trust us and trust our products to work through long days on set when creating camera ready hair looks and looking to help correct any last minute issues that come into play. So we were going to share with you today the must-haves. So we'll start with our Haas Dry Shampoos. These are definitely a staple in every hairstylist set bag on set and off. Four different varieties are available. Each is formulated with a lightweight, ultra-fine rice starch for long-lasting oil absorption. Getting quick, easy texture is also a really great benefit. So I'll start with the Haas Charcoal Purifying Dry Shampoo, infused with charcoal powder and with a botanical citrusy scent. It allows you to rid your scalp of excess oil and add texture to the hair. So we like to say that you can skip a wash or extend the life of your current style with the super lightweight formula. It eliminates odors and leaves second day hair soft and clean. Then we have our Haas Chia Seed Volumizing Dry Shampoo. It's infused with chia seed and has a floral tea scent. This product actually transforms hair from lifeless to voluminous, oil, sweat, odor, completely removed. So it leaves your hair big, bouncy, and super clean, which is great. Then we have Haas Manoy Coconut Dry Shampoo, which uh, is coconut infused with a beachy, coconutty scent. And you can extend the life of your style by removing excess oil with this line, leaving your hair fresh, vibrant, and super clean. And then last but not least, we have our Biotin Thickening Dry Shampoo. So what we like to say is if you're looking for a boost, you'll find it right here with this product. Infused with biotin, collagen, and coffee, it acts super quick to soak up oil and provides a thicker, fuller look with insane texture. Nice. My personal fave is the charcoal purifying. Yeah, I love that one too. The scent actually gives you major fresh vibes so you can use it year round. And it's also great because the white residue is basically non-existent. So no matter your hair color, the product will never show. Absolutely. Sammy, thank you and Hask for being part of the podcast today. Jamie Lee, it was a pleasure. And let me leave you and your listeners in the trade industry with this. The Hask brand definitely welcomes the opportunity to continue building our relationship with television and film styling communities. So if we can support a project you're working on, please send us an email at hask at stonemanagement.net and we'd be happy to help. That's awesome, Sammy. Thank you. Of course. I had a blast. 
And now, our feature presentation. Today, I'm speaking with hair designer Carla Farmer. Carla designed hair for Dolomite Is My Name, Black Monday, and the James Brown biopic, Get On Up. Carla chats about her start in the industry, the mentors who helped guide her, and we chat about what the benefits are of co-department heading a job. Picture up. Last looks. Rolling. And action. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast, Carla. Thank you for having me, Jamie. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. Now, I would like you to finish the sentence for me, okay? Okay. Once upon a time, there was a girl named Carla, and when she grew up, she wanted to be? I wanted to serve mankind in some in some type of capacity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. I was always the girl at school that promoted, like, let's do a, a pickup litter campaign, and let's work with the handicap, and I was that girl. Oh, that's awesome. So how does that then translate into becoming a hairstylist? I think I love to be around people and I love talking with people. And I also love creating and being a hairstylist gives you the opportunity to be very creative and also bond with um, other people. Yeah. And I think you're you're making people feel good. Yes. Yes. It's a nice feeling. (laughs) Yes, it is. It really is. So at what point did you kind of figure out that you wanted to get into hairstyling? Well, during the time when I grew up, afros were huge. Mm -hmm. And so the guys in the neighborhood would pay me 50 cents and 75 cents, depending how long their hair was. And I would braid their hair so that their afro would appear larger. So that was kind of my first job. Okay. Yeah. And how old were you at that point? I was probably about 11. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> Making some money. <laughs> right. That and babysitting. Those were yeah. my two jobs. Yes. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> and so you kind of thought, okay, well, making some money here, doing some doing some hairstyling for the, for the neighborhood guys. So that just continued on through high school? Well, in high school, I wanted to be a lawyer. So I went to school in Nashville, Tennessee. I went to a a historically black college, Mm -hmm. Fisk University, and I studied political science. Wow, that's awesome. I then transferred to Cal State LA and decided I wanted to be a speech therapist. (laughs) Okay. So I have my BS in speech pathology. Okay. And I was on that track and I just wasn't feeling fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do something where I felt more creative. And I always loved doing hair. I always loved watching movies and being like my mother would do something where if there was this great movie on, she Mm. would let me stay up and watch it. And sometimes the movie would be on like at 12 a.m. And then the next day I wouldn't have to go to school. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that's awesome. Your mom's amazing. (laughs) I don't know if that was correct, but... I think every now and again, it's okay, right? (laughs) Yes. Every now and then we would have those kind of days. So I was always in love with movies and movie making. And it was something as a child when I would pass by Paramount Studios or Universal Studios, I would say to myself, I'm going to work there one day. I remember Um, saying that. Yeah. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I think they both just kind of merged together. I was married to my first husband and he worked in the film industry. And I told him that I wanted to work in the film industry and I think I want to do hair. So I went to hair school and he really helped me open the doors. And I met my first two mentors, Mr. Ken Walker and Irma Kent. Mm-hmm. And they helped me get into the business. Wow, that's awesome. So it's, I don't know if that happens that often, does it? That somebody kind of sees the film industry and goes straight from training 
into the film industry. I feel like there's so many people who kind of, they know they want to do hair, they end up in a salon for a while and then they're like, oh, I remember I had that idea about getting into movie world, maybe I'll give that a go and then kind of transition into it. But you had just got to that point where you're like, I know what I want and I'm going for it. Well, yes, that and I, of course, I went to school. I mm. was in a salon, but that idea of being in the film industry was yeah. always in my head. Yeah, and yeah. I used to tell people, even when I was in school, I would say, I'm going to work in the film industry. And when I was in the salon, I'm going to work in the film industry. It was always my mantra. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Because I yeah. know I didn't, I didn't think of it until, I mean, goodness, I was growing up in small town New Zealand. So I probably didn't even think it was a job that you could mm-hmm, do mm-hmm. but I remember I remember my dad had watched something on tv and he was just like you know people they have these jobs where they do like celebrities here like maybe you could do that and I'm thinking oh you're right <laughs> <laughs> okay dad whatever like I'm in <laughs> tiny town New Zealand I don't think so <laughs> So, but then I got to the point in the salon where I was just like, I can't walk into the same place every day doing the same right. thing. I gotta, I gotta be able to do hair. Like I love doing hair, but I can't do it in the same, I can't walk into the same salon every day doing this. And some people can, and it's amazing. Right. I just knew that I couldn't. So it was just like, right. how, how can I make this a little more interesting for myself? Yes, that was my same thought. I felt like if I was going to be in a salon for me, Mm. it felt like I might as well be in corporate America going to an office every day. I I felt like for me, it was not what I needed to serve my soul and my spirit. I needed to be creative. And I I am so grateful to work in this business because it has it's really given me the opportunity to be creative. Absolutely. And it's just the variety. I mean, yes, doing something different every day. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. Awesome. So who did you say was helping you? Irma Kent and? Ken Walker. Ken Walker. Ken Walker was my mentor. He passed away a year, like almost a year ago. And um, he used to be Denzel Washington's personal at a time when I met him. And he did, he was working up until he was sick with um, cancer, but he had done um, Bill Street. Mm -hmm. I believe he was asked to do Love, name of that show that just came out. Oh, Lovecraft Country? Yes. He was mm-hmm. asked to do that before he found out he was sick. Oh. So he was still working. He had just turned um, 80 years old. Wow. And he was a very influential person in my life. He and Irma Kent both helped me a lot in this business. And uh, my other mentor, who I still connect with and talk to often, is Julia Walker. And Julia did a lot of period style movies and um, she really helped me to find my voice in that. And I, I talk to her often about things in the business and just longevity in this business. Yeah. And all three of them have been very important to me and my career. Yeah, that's amazing. So how did you meet them in the first place? Was that an introduction through your first husband because he worked in the film industry or did you kind of search them out? Well, Ken and Irma, I met Mm. through my husband. They were working together. He introduced me and they took me under their wings. Julia, I met taking a class. Susan Lipson had a school Mm. for people who wanted to learn more about hair in the business. And Julia was one of the instructors and she took me under her wings. I learned a lot from her. That's awesome. So coming out of salon and into film and television, what was your first kind of full-time job? In the business? Yeah. My first break was A Tales from the Crypt. Oh yeah. (laughs) Do you remember that show? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Mr. Kim was department heading it and he Mm -hmm. brought me along and I did not know what I was doing. He was very patient with me. Wow. It's a whole different world, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And we were working all night and I was not used to that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was it was very ambitious <laughs> for me, but I learned a lot. And luckily, I was around people who were able to guide me. Yeah, that's awesome. Very important, I think. Yes. Very lucky to actually have that, yes. have that guidance. Because, yes. I mean, you do, you kind of feel like you're just being thrown in the deep end, really, and you're just like a sponge that's just sucking up everything around you and you're like, exactly. oh, 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 what do I do now? What should I be doing? Should I do this? Should I do that? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. It feels exactly like that. It's exciting (laughs) and terrifying all at the same time. (laughs) It is both of those things because you want to be like, you know, you want to be on the set and you don't want to miss anything. And Mm. now as you're in it a long time, you're like, oh, no, you guys can go on the set. (laughs) If I don't have to be on set, I'm not going to be. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm one of those department heads that like being on set because I like to see the work and making sure it looks a certain way, you know, that's very important. Yeah. Yeah. I I also, yeah, I get that fear of missing out of what's happening. What's happening. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about wig training because I'm always interested to hear how people first learned about how to work with wigs so was that like in your those first few jobs, were you dealing with wigs at all or did that come a little bit later? I think it came a little bit later when I was a little bit more established, mm-hmm. but I'm going to tell you, Irma Kent showed me how to put on my first wig mm-hmm. and I was doing, this is before I was in the union Back in those days, <laughs> sounds like a long time ago, but <laughs> they would have projects. Um, I'm sure they still do. And you just would work on them for free. Right. So that you would learn the tricks of the trade, but also meet people who could mm-hmm. help you get in the union. And my first little film like that, it was a short and Nandi Bo was a director. She was up and coming director and she was like an AD at the time. I don't believe she's in the business anymore. And Alfre Woodard was the star of this short. Mm-hmm. So she had a wig and Irma helped me get this job. And um, she showed me all about wigs and how to put them on. And that was my first time with a wig. And it was something I really liked. I really liked wigs. And I remember doing a Nickelodeon show and one of the actors had a like a stunt where the water that splash or whatever that glue that was that yucky the slime and the actor had to wear a wig so when he came out the director said I thought he had to wear a wig and I go that is a wig and he was like really <laughs> and it looked so much like his hair that the director was like oh my god this looks great so I was like oh I guess I'm you know, my confidence was high and mm. I just never really was scared. And if I had questions, I would ask my friends. I mean, Camille Friend, mm-hmm. um, she is one of my good friends in the business and outside of the business. And she has taught me so much about wigs. She's a wig master. Yeah. So she's taught me a lot and she's helped me a lot to master that so, skill. Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of the one of the best things that someone can say is, he's wearing a wig? What? Yeah. <laughs> that made me feel really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. when you can when you can trick someone that's standing right next to them. Right. Um it's it's always a, it's always a good feeling. It's right. amazing. Yeah. So coming up with these amazing mentors, was there at some point like one piece of advice that was given to you that's kind of really stuck with you and rung true? Yes. I remember one day Julia Walker was telling me about her relationship with Whoopi Goldberg. And she said, you know, Whoopi, one day I was tired and she said, Julia, you can go back in my trailer and lay down. And then Whoopi said, and if I need you to get out, I'll just tell you. Mm -hmm. And Julia said, I never want you to have to tell me 
So I, I just listened to what she was saying and what she was saying to me is like, don't get too familiar. Mm-hmm. Keep it a professional relationship. She said sometimes it, it crosses over and it becomes a friendship. But as long as you're working with your actor, always be professional with your actor. So yeah. I took that. I took that to heart. Yeah, I think it's um it is good advice across the board because it's also I mean you're when you're looking after somebody as a personal as well you're kind of representing them as part of their team and things like that and I think it's just I don't know other people would just be like she's doing what oh, yes okay <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> it's just like yeah keep it you're at work keep it professional yes keep it professional. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So you have done quite a mixture of film and television. Yes. Which is pretty awesome. Do you have do you have a preference of what you like to do or I can honestly say I love them both, depending on their project, of course. Yeah. Because now television, it used to be a time when I first got in the business that film was better than television. And if you worked in television, some people looked at you differently than people that worked in film. Mm -hmm. But I think now television is so powerful and so acclaimed that I think I can honestly say that they're both exceptional um, mediums to work in Mm -hmm. and they're different And they require different skills. But at the same time, I think I love doing both. I love doing both. I love doing television because it's um, it takes longer Mm -hmm. to tell the story. And depending on the script and the show, you get to do different things like there might be a theme on one show. Maybe it's a Halloween theme to make it like basic mm-hmm. and you get to do different things. You know, sometimes there's flashbacks and you go back into 1972 or 1965 or things like that, where on a film, I mean, you can have those certain things, but it's a shorter period of time to tell the story. Mm. And you probably have the skeleton of what it is from the beginning to the end where in television it can change from week to week right I was gonna ask because you're just mentioning that the like the different skill sets that you think you need for those two things so what specifically what what are some of those things well for television it's a smaller vehicle Mm-hmm. It, it's a television is not as large as a screen, but sometimes, you know, it depends on how you're living. Because <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> but there's things in television where you have to make it hit right away for mm-hmm. you. Th- they have to exactly know what it is quicker. You yeah. know what I'm saying? As in film, you have broader strokes. You have to be more meticulous about a hairline. You have to be more meticulous about flyaways. And it took me a while when I transitioned from or go back and forth mm-hmm. to to know that and realize that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So some things that you can get away with in television, you can't get away in film. Absolutely. So it's a different eye. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so when you're doing, I mean, because with film, of course, you get your script and you prep and you kind of know what's happening from start to finish. I mean, of course, Mm -hmm. they can change a few things whilst you're shooting, but Mm -hmm. it's never anything too massive. But while Mm -hmm. you're doing TV, how do you stay on top of shooting one episode and prepping for the next? Well, first of all, you have to have a great team. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. You do. (laughs) It's it's um, filmmaking is a team sport. It's mm-hmm. not an individual sport. Yeah. So you have to have a great team and you have to have organization and you have to use the paperwork that is given to you. You have to use um, script breakdowns. You have to use day out of days. You just have to use the information that is given to you mm. in a way that keeps you on top of what is going on. Because 
you might get a schedule at the end of the night that says you're going to shoot scene 54, 55, 56. And then the next day you wake up and it's scene one, two, and three. So you just have to, you have to read, you have to know your call sheet and you have to know that script. And when, if it does turn around, you have to know what's going on. Just be on top of it really, isn't it? Yes. Yes. And, and what's the, the team is important because, because you're a department head and you're dealing with so many different elements, Mm -hmm. you have to have people around you that are not going to undermine your success, but add to the success of the movie. Mm -hmm. And you want those people to catch those things that you may not see. And that's why it's so important to have the right people working with you. Yeah. I mean, they can't be asleep at the wheel. They have no. to kind of be, you know, paying attention yes. <laughs> as well. I mean, yes. you know, not to the degree that you have to pay attention to everything across the board, but they have to be kind of aware of what is going yes. on. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I always mm-hmm. uh, found it confusing sometimes coming into jobs in the past where not everyone in the main team has read the script. And I like just personally for myself, if I'm full time on something, I want to know that script. I want to have done even my own little breakdown of it just to completely understand what's going on, like for my characters and stuff like that. So do you feel are you along the same lines as that, that you want everyone to have the information? Yes, I do. But there are some times when you're doing a project where production does not want everyone to have the script. Oh, yeah. So you I've been in that situation also. And I think you have to adhere to the production's request. But at the same time, you have to equip your team with the information they need so that it's a success. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes I've been in that position, too, where it. I can't get them a copy of the script, but it's just like, okay, they're, but they're allowed to read it. Yes, they're allowed to read it. Okay, great. So it's just like, well, here is my copy here in the trailer. Read it. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. You know, yeah. Just try and get them the information. Because, yeah, I mean, the the secrecy of some scripts is really quite full on, isn't it? Right. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. I've heard, um, I remember hearing, I don't know if it's true. Someone can probably maybe um, let us know, but the, when they started doing the new Star Wars films that there was like one copy of the script <laughs> that was like literally chained to a desk in a room. And if you, if you wanted to know anything, like read it or get in, you know, changes or anything, you had to go, you know, sign up to go to this room and, and read it. I don't know if that's true, but. It sounds, it, sounds like, it sounds like it could be true. Yeah, exactly. That's why <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them. Yes. <laughs> yes. Awesome. So being a successful department head, what, what do you think are some of the necessary skills? I think people management mm. is probably the most important skill. It's less to do with hair than it is people. Yeah. And um, when you have the right people with you, the hair becomes very easy. Yeah. So how how have you gained, I guess, that skill, that people management skill? Is that just over the years kind of working out what works? Yeah. Yeah, yeah over the years, trial. I haven't always been good at that, and I just try to do better every time. I do think I do get a response that people do like to work with me. They like to work on our the movies I do because we have a good time. But I do require people to come with their best. Yeah. And I don't allow people not to do their best. And I try to bring out the best in people. Yeah. I think that's and, a positive way to look at it. That's awesome. So I also, looking through your IMDb, and you've co-department headed some stuff as well. I've done the same, which has been quite awesome, but I just wanted to talk to you Mm -hmm. about how that's worked for you and how do you decide that that's what's going to happen and what what are the benefits? What have been the benefits for you? I've co-department three times and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the first time I co-department was with, um, on a film was with Stacy Morris, who you've had on your show. Yeah. 
on your podcast. And I think we make an awesome team. Oh, that's good. It was really beneficial to have Stacy as a co-department head because she has such amazing skills in hairdressing. Not, I don't want to say she's just a barber because she's not. And then really the barbers in our industry are just barbers. They are cosmetologists. So technically they are hairstylists yeah. who, you know, favor barbering. So um, Stacy has a unique eye. She is so good at what she does. So when she and I came together for Dolomite, we were able to map out certain things together because she has the eye of someone who is master at her craft. And the movie was dominated by males. So I was able to use her skills in designing the wigs. And the only person who had a custom wig in that movie was Eddie Murphy. And mm-hmm. every other wig in that uh, pertaining to the males, of course, Stacy and I designed together. That's very cool. Yeah. And when it came to coming to America, we did the same thing. And she and I came up with some really unique designs for the male characters. And I just love working with her. That's awesome. I feel like sometimes on those bigger films where there's so much to think about that it mm-hmm. really is helpful to have that that person to bounce off. And yes. just know that, you know, you're in it in it together and yes. you've got it covered. Yes, it, it does help. And especially when you're doing big, like on both of those movies, we had over 200 wigs. Yeah. So it's really great to have someone who can carry that with you. And I had, you know, a really good team in Atlanta. Louisa was my key. And yes, (laughs) she's a master with wigs also. And it just was, it was a, it was a great team. Recently, I did a movie and I co-department with Linda Villalobos. And Linda is known for her work with Carrie Washington. And she is a magnificent hairstylist. She helped me out also when I first got in the business. And I used to key for her a lot. And now she's she's keyed for me. We've been department heads together. And uh, we just finished a movie called Sylvie's Love with Tessa Thompson. And it's a period movie also. It's awesome. I'd see because you've done a few period pieces, haven't you? Yes. Like, yes. How do you, what do you normally look for? Like, where do you find your research and everything? What do you normally do to prepare for something like that? I find my research in everything. Hmm. For instance, like with Dolomite, we of course searched the movies that Rudy Ray Moore made. Of course, we watched those. But then I also watched movies of the time that were made, that were made during the same time so that I would have influence of the culture and different, because this movie was predominantly African-American driven. There were also people who were not African-American in the movie. So I wanted to see what film had recorded during that time. So I watched other movies of that time to to make sure it was a realness. In that research, the style that we came up with for Craig Robinson, Mm -hmm. it was something I found just doing research and it was on an ad. And I was like, oh my God, this style. And it had like the parts in it. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, my God, this would be perfect in this movie. I think this would fit. And then we did more research and we actually saw Rudy Ray Moore and his friends in that same style. Oh, wow. So it's like when you do the research, mm. it it really helps. It really helps to find different things because it makes your story, hair story, rich and real. When you yeah. go out of your way to go beyond what you think it is yeah it gives you that variety because otherwise it's just like a cookie cutter of like three different hairstyles that you've come across and everyone's got the same thing with dolomite i mean it's you know researching because you're doing a recreation of actual characters but also then there's everybody else that's in the film that are their own their own characters that you may not be recreating so it's a two types of research really isn't it 
Exactly. You're absolutely right. Exactly. And I, I, I have to mention Black Monday because I just love that show so much. <laughs> Well, I did the first season. We had a great time. And because of my schedule, I did Coming to America during the second season. And Lily Pearson and Edward Morris took over that show. We were working together the first season, but then they stepped up to the apartment head and key for the second season. Oh, that's cool. So they already had a feel for what the show was about. And exactly. And knew the cast and, oh, that's cool. Exactly. So yeah. that's a nice fun period piece as well, isn't it? Yes, it was, it was a lot of fun. And the cast is amazing. They're amazing. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Some of the stuff, some of those, oh, yeah, the storylines are pretty outrageous. I love it. Yes. <laughs> and this is how it works. It's like Camille Friend, Don Cheadle is a longtime client of hers and she could not do the show. So she referred me. And then when I couldn't continue, then I referred my friends in the business who can um give you those opportunities and then you can continue that on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, going back to um, co-department heading, that's who I co-department headed with was Camille Friend. Yes. And I just loved that she was so open to doing that. I feel like there's some established heads of department that would just be like, no, I'm the head of department. I'm not sharing it it's not happening. Do you know what I mean? But she was just like, well, how about we do it this way? And I'm like, okay, that sounds amazing. We did that a couple of times. It was great. Yeah. And it was, it was at a time where I was, I guess, in the middle of making that shift from keying to doing more department heading. So to be Mm -hmm. able to like co-department head a couple of pretty decent sized films with her and to have that partner in crime yes. to do it was, yes. yeah, yes. It, was, it was great. I think it's a great way. And I think it's funny too now, I'm sorry to get off topic, but we have a diversity inclusivity committee now with Local 706 and they elected co-chairs. Mm. So it's Geneva Morgan, Angie Wells and myself And we just did a seminar on racism. And we're going to have two other seminars, one on the LGBTQIA and the ageism issues in our union. So I think it's really great when you can come together and have more than one person at the head because it just gives everyone the space and room to do more things to to push the agenda faster and more efficiently. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just as spreading out that workload, isn't it? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's very cool. Hey, now also recreating James Brown's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, yeah, that was, I forgot about that one. <laughs> I mean, he's such a character, yes. like, to recreate and through the years as well. So you got to, like, do a few changes and kind of see right. see him develop and turn into the James Brown that we all um Right. Well, no. I so, I had a influence on his character, but Mr. Robert Stevenson, who for many years was Sam Jackson's personal and Richard Pryor's personal. Wow. And he did a lot of movies throughout the years. He created the styles on Chadwick for that movie. And it wow. was an honor to have him. He really gave me the movie. It was his movie and he gave it to me to department head. So he was very generous and in doing that, you know, we, we had a good time and we did some good work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just being able to dive into those periods is pretty fun full stop, isn't it? Yes. Yes. I learned a lot <laughs> on that movie. I learned a lot. In what kind of way? Like hair styling itself or it, just... Yeah, just how I was overprepared, which that's another thing that helped when you do big movies like that and period movies to have more than what you think you need because you'll mm-hmm. ultimately need it all. Yeah. And um, I learned a lot because I had to continually to purchase and buy things. And so I learned that 
I should always over-prepare. And I also learned that was a big movie when it came to mandates and people and prepping. We did a lot, a lot of prepping, especially for the background. So I learned a lot and I had a really good team. And we also filmed that in Mississippi. And so we were able to use a lot of locals and people that weren't in the union, but we were also able to use the union workers. So it was a nice blend and it was it was really nice getting people together to that may not have known the skills or may have not known the period, but to really make sure that everyone had what they needed to make a successful hair story. Yeah, that's very cool. Mm-hmm. And working in Mississippi, it was in the middle of summer, was it? It started out <laughs> in September and we okay. went till like February. But okay. the best thing about Mississippi is that's where I met my current husband. Oh, yay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Big so. bonus. <laughs> yeah, it was a huge bonus. Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's awesome now I wanted to just touch on because 13 reasons why did you do all seasons or just season one I did season two oh you did season two yeah so how because I mean that was I just remember that first coming out and being quite controversial and all that type of stuff but I think my question is um researching high school kids (laughs) I mean, when it's, you know, I know I haven't been in high school for a while and things change every five minutes for these kids with their different styles and what's cool and what's not. So what was that like kind of working out how high school kids should look? (laughs) That was that was fun. And the creator of the show had a specific look that he wanted. And we we really relinquished that to his vision. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to do that. And he knew exactly what he wanted to see. So it, it made, it made it easier. And then if we had questions or ideas, we would talk about them and communicate them. But the look and the styling was already created the year before Mm -hmm. in the season before. So we just kind of followed that. Yeah, we followed that. Like the recipe had already been kind of worked out, so you just yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I don't know if I'm really the target audience, but I did enjoy the show. <laughs> yes, it was it was very interesting, and it gave a voice to these kids that we forget about, and mm-hmm. a storyline that's very important. Absolutely, and um, a lot of kids struggle with their sexuality and bullying and all of these things. And I, I'm just kind of proud of this gen. I'm not kind of, I'm very proud of this generation that's coming up. And my husband and I were talking about that, how they are brave enough to really have a voice and to identify in the way that they need to. And I, I think that's important. I think that's very important. And I think it's important for kids to feel safe in their own bodies. Yeah. So that was a very important show to be a part of. Yeah. I mean, just from the side of, I guess, any teenager watching it who maybe has been on the end of doing the bullying or not even full on bullying, but just saying something that is unkind one day to somebody. And it's just like, you have to realize, you know, that show really opens up the repercussions of it may not have been all of your doing that got that other person to that point, but you may have been a small part of exactly, you know, what you were doing or saying to that individual. It's just like, and that's that, that that typical thing of like, you don't know what that person's got going on in their personal life, like at, at home with their family or this or that. And it just, I think a great eye-opening show for, for teenagers. It was awesome. Yes, yes. It had a lot of opposition, but overall I think it was an important moment. And I, I think it was an important um, point of view that we need to examine you know, as society, you know, it's, it's out there. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's very cool to be a part of something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was, it was very cool. Um, so when you first get a job, like, mm-hmm. is there a usual, do you have a usual routine that you have like steps that you take to prepare? So everything from, I guess, the research through to 
designing characters and all that type of stuff. So how do you normally work that? Um, First of all, I read the script at least twice and break that down, break down the characters first. Not so much the story, but I break down the characters and get a real sense of who they are and what they look like to me in my mind and um, write those descriptions out. Then when I have a meeting with the director and or the actor, I kind of give my opinion and they give their opinion and we come to an agreement that works for the movie. And sometimes my idea is totally not what the director's thinking about. And then sometimes the director may look at something my way and go, oh, I didn't think about it that way. You're absolutely right. I really do enjoy the fact too that I've been able to be on films that were African-American driven and Mm -hmm. that I was able to lend my voice to those because in some instances you will see perceptions that aren't true and you're able to stir you're able to stir the, the direction of what is real mm-hmm. as opposed to what someone perceives. Right. So it's, it's, it's very important just to make sure that when you do a, a movie that is dealing with a diverse group of people or a group of people that does not look like you to have those people around in the trailer so they can lend an eye and an ear to it so it's it's authentic. And I really believe that when we did Dolomite, mm. it was successful in the look because it was a perception that most of us knew and grew up in. And that's why I think it rang true to people it being really real and accurate. Yeah. They could feel the that it was authentic. Yes. That authenticity coming Yes. Through. Yes. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. So you've done so many different types of films and TV shows and stuff, but is there something that you have not done that you would like to, whether it's like a genre of film or a style or period or? I've never done any of the superhero movies. Okay. <laughs> I would love to be a part of something like that. I would love to be a part of one of the Marvel movies. Yeah. Well, it sounds like when you were little, you kind of wanted to be a superhero by the sounds of it. I guess so, huh? (laughs) (laughs) So that would be cool. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. it would be. So what what are some of the more challenging aspects you find of this, like for this job, this line of work? I think the balance of being a business person and a creative person at the same time. Mm. And because most of us, we have a lot of passion yeah, and we want to see things a certain way, but then we might not have the time or we might not have the budget or, you know, it's a fine dance. You know, it's you got to some things you just got to let go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But if you are able to get 2% of it, you're winning, you know? (laughs) So true. You have to pick your battles, too. It's just like, is this, do I really need this? No, I really need need that, actually. Exactly. We'll mm-hmm. let that one go and we'll go into fight for this because that's yeah. gonna that's gonna make a difference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I remember working with one I can't I won't say their name out loud, but we were on a movie and the the UPN came up to this particular makeup artist and said, So I hear you need four extra people tomorrow for this scene. And this makeup artist proceeded to say, no, I need new patio furniture. You need four extra people tomorrow. That's beautiful. (laughs) And he said, he said, I shouldn't have said he, the makeup artist said, (laughs) the makeup artist said, I can come in at one o'clock in the morning and do everybody, but Mm it would just be better if you would hire these four extra people because it'll just make things go faster. But I never forgot that. I, I'm not brave enough to say something like that, but I thought it was great. Yeah. I mean, the, the same response could also be like, no, I actually need eight people, but I'm settling for four. Right. So 
you know, because how often does that happen? You give oh, them your, yeah. your man days and you're like, I need 100 man days. And they're like, yeah. you can have 50. And you're like, I'm sorry, what? You just halved my man days? I know. No, 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 no. <laughs> I know. It's, that's, every, it's, that's every show. It's always the same battle. It's like, oh, my God. Or they'll wait to make the schedule because mm. you'll, you'll give them your man days and then they'll cut the schedule. So that, so they don't have to give you your mandates. Like they actually go buy your mandates to make the schedule, except instead of the reverse. I've been on those. Wow. It's <laughs> incredible. As we say, those are the challenges that you're yes. up against. Those are the, <laughs> yes. the fights you have. Yeah, battles you go in for. Yeah, yes. it's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, in in our line of work, what would you like to see more of? I would like to see more stories of diversity. Mm-hmm. I would like to see more representation on our sets of yep. the diverse community that we live in. Absolutely. And I think those are my two wishes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um. well, probably I'm being positive here, but I feel like it's heading in that direction. Yeah, I do too. I yeah. do too. I That's really cool. do. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So my next question for you, Carla Farmer, is <laughs> <laughs> what one tool or product would you never want to be without? So if you had all your kit and you were set up in the trailer, ready to go, but if I took one thing away from you, what would just destroy your day? You'd be like, no, I can't live without it. I use Echo Gel on everything. Okay. <laughs> so take away Echo Gel and she's going to cry. Yeah, I would. Yep. <laughs> I would cry. If he said I couldn't use that, I would absolutely cry. (laughs) So note to to Echo Gel, don't stop making Echo Gel. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that answer. Mm -hmm. Well done. (laughs) And who would you like to hear on the podcast? Have you done Pierce Austin? No. I would love to see Pierce. Pierce Austin. Yes. He is uh, Will Smith's personal barber, and he also owns Rhino Trailers. Oh, I've worked in a Rhino Trailer. Yes. Much much love to the Rhino Trailer. Yes. (laughs) I would love to see Pierce on your podcast. That's awesome. I love that one. Mm -hmm. Well, Thank you, Carla. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. And thank you for having this platform. And just thank you for what you're doing. For links to see more about our guests, go to our Instagram at The Last Looks Podcast or our website, thelastlookspodcast.com. If you want to keep up with new episodes being released, be sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, or any podcast streaming platform. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, share it. The Last Looks Podcast would like to thank Brett Stanley and Sabrina Castro. The song Fun Time by DJ Quads. Thanks for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap, people.